Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Tonight I will be visiting with Lindsay Smith, and so let's go ahead and get her on the line. Hello? Hi, is this Lindsay? Hey! <laughs> How are you? <ya? laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Thanks for being willing to be on the podcast. Always. Anything for you. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> How's your day been? Oh, crazy town, but good. Yeah, yeah. Just got done with the carnival and... Now I can breathe and put the kids to bed. That's good. You have so, how, how many kids at home? Four. Four at home. Four kids. Four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Four kids. Yep. That's fantastic. Uh, oldest is just turned 16 and youngest is seven. Man, where's the time go? Right? I right, know. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> well, Lindsay, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is to be able to talk and share our thoughts and feelings and reminisce a little bit about the wonderful experiences that you and I had together in Chicago, working with the inner city youth, the boys, and just some of the neat experiences that we had and the feelings that we had. Um, Those will never go away. You know that? Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, they'll they'll be with us forever, I think. I agree. Let me give a brief background on what we did, and then I want to hear maybe a little bit about what some of your experiences were and what it taught you and what it's done for you in your life. Does that sound good? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So the Chicago Inner City Youth Charitable Program, the Urban Studies Program, was something that we did through BYU-Idaho, and each year during the summer— I would take a group of students, somewhere between 15, 20 students, and we would go out to Chicago, and we would run camps for these youth. And the interesting thing was, kind of got started, was the youth were being recruited into gangs. And it was determined that July, August, right around there, was some of the highest recruiting months. And so that's when we would show up, take them out of the city, take them into Michigan, into Tower Hill Campground, and just have a wonderful Uh time. And then later on, of course, we moved them from that, and we began to bring them out here to Idaho, out to Victor, Idaho, at a ranch in Victor. So anyway, we had such a good time, and you were a big big part of that, Lindsay. We did. It was magic. Yeah, whatever, you know, the experiences that you had. Obviously, we changed, but I know that the youth that we worked with, benefited greatly from it yeah so so what are your thoughts about it if you could just kind of share what you did what you learned about yourself and how that was oh my gosh i think it was i think i became an adult that summer i was or (laughs) well i went two summers in 01 and 03 so i was 20 and 22 Mm -hmm. and i i became an adult i saw the real I saw the real world. I I never really thought I was a sheltered human, but I definitely was coming from Idaho and Utah to Chicago and seeing how people lived. But also I learned to love, I think. I learned to love outside of what I thought was normal, what I thought was out of my sheltered upbringing. Mm -hmm. I learned what love was. And also to love kids that you, people 
humans that you didn't think that you would really love right at first. And I mean, I remember some of them were hard. Some of the boys were hard and hard to crack. They, they didn't want to open up and, and towards the end we would get them. I, we always got them at the end. And I think I, I spent the day looking through pictures, mm-hmm. just reminiscing. I had no idea that that's why we, we went in July was to pull yeah. to, that was the highest recruiting. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was because it was good for college students, but. Um, well, that too, but the biggest part was those boys, you know, that was, that was hard for them during those months. Yeah. Uh, they, they just wanted to be boys. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember thinking that they were going to be, you know, hardened criminals. Not that I even knew what that was <laughs> at 20 years old from Idaho, but they just wanted to play. And they wanted to laugh and they wanted to feel safe. And for years when I was single, I would have a collage of all of the boys and both summers I went on my wall and I had written underneath there, sorry, um, Tim, Tamar and Yo-Yo when they sang um, Someday This World is Gonna Change. It's gonna change. It's gonna change. (laughs) Change. And I had that written on my wall because that was like my mantra. Like I was going to be the person to help the world change. And even if it was in small town Idaho or small town Utah, I was going to help that change because the hurt that they had seen and the hurt that they had gone through already when they were so young, um, that was hard to watch. Yeah. You know? So of all the experiences that we had, we had a lot of fun, first of all. I'll just say that. We, right. <laughs> we, you know, we had Pinewood Derby races every year. Uh, we had makeshift tracks that we would use. I think one year we used, I went down to the hardware store and got some rain gutters. Yes. Yep. <laughs> I remember that year. Yep. And, then, and baseball every day. Yeah. We would play baseball. We would take them to the lake, Lake Michigan, and we would swim. Um, we took them on uh, tours to Notre Dame. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And while we were there in South Bend, we would take him to the College Football Hall of Fame. And uh-huh. I remember one time, uh, one of the boys, I had a group of the kids with me, and we were headed down the old Highway 31 towards Notre Dame. And mm-hmm. one of the boys sitting directly behind me, just out of the blue, he said, Hey, Grover, do you spend time with your boys? Oh. You know, talking about my sons. And Without even thinking, I said, well, yeah, of course I do. I I spend a lot of time with them. And then he got quiet. And then I kind of caught my attention and I looked in the rearview mirror and I could see him and he had tears rolling down his cheeks. And and then he said, they're pretty lucky. And and it hit me. It hit me that most of these boys didn't have dads in their homes, first of all. And so to have a, a male figure who did things with them, who had water balloon fights with them, or who, you know, just goofed yeah. off with them. I didn't realize the impact that had on them until much later. Yeah. But yeah, they needed that male figure. And it was in a kind of a female dominated world that they lived in with their grandmas and their aunts and their moms. Yeah. And, you know, so just, yeah, yeah, just little things like that. You take, I think I took for granted a lot of the things that we do here knowing that now, you know, what that was like for them. Yeah. There was one, I don't remember which camp it was, but we had one boy show up wearing his dad's garment Mm -hmm. top Mm -hmm. because he didn't have any clothes to bring. Yep. That was his t-shirt. 
Yep, that was his T-shirt, and I remember thinking, "Are you? Wow, wow!" Yeah. Like that was the only thing that he could find to wear to camp that day. Wow, you remember tomorrow really well. Yes, you probably heard this story, but I'll share it anyway. I think tomorrow was about. 14. Anyway, he was close to becoming a ninth grader, so somewhere in there. And uh, uh-huh. we went to his home. Had you ever been to his home there on Monticello? No, I, no, I didn't get to go. Okay. Um, you know, not a really good neighborhood. It was kind of scary. And, you know, there were gunshots and there was just, there was a lot of drugs and different things happening. And so you had to be very careful. And one day I went to his home and I had to pick him up. And his mother was there and she said, she said, Grover, I need you to do me a favor. And I said, well, sure, what, what, what do you need? And she said, I need you to take Tamar back to Idaho with you. And I'm like, what? She <laughs> said, I, I need you to take Tamar back to Idaho with you and to live with you. And I'm like, wait, you want me to take your son and move him all the way out to Idaho and have him go to school out there and live with me and my family? She said, yeah. And I said, Why? She said, I've already lost, not to death, but lost boys to the gang um, who joined the gang, you know. And she said, I want more for him. So I'm like, oh, "Oh, that's something. I better check with my wife before I, you know, (laughs) before I tell you yes or no. (laughs) So I discussed it with my wife and we thought, well, let's do it. And so we moved tomorrow out here. We flew him out here and he lived with us. Ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and got his high school diploma. And I believe he was the first uh, in the family to receive his diploma. But his brother, Tim, moved out here with a friend of mine. So they both got Uh their degrees. And Tim was Uh older. So Tim probably was the first to get his high school diploma. But they both did. And that was quite an accomplishment, you know. That is incredible. Yeah. And I remember we flew him back home for Christmas. And Mm -hmm. before he left, we gave him a Christmas present, and it was some Air Jordans, some high-top Air Jordans, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and he was so excited to have those. Well, he goes to Chicago, and then um, he comes back, and he sleeps in a bedroom downstairs. And I remember going down there, and the lights were on, and, and his door was locked. And so it was late, and so I knock on the door, and pretty soon he gets up and and he had been asleep, and he and he still had his tennis shoes on. And I said, Tamar, how come you have the light on, and how come the door's locked? And he said, police. And I said, what do you mean, police? He said, we keep the door locked where I'm from, because when the police come, then I don't want them coming in my bedroom. And oh. I thought, holy cow, I didn't even think about that. And then I said, You're kidding me. I said, you've got your tennis shoes on. Do you think you ought to take off your tennis shoes? And he, he said, no, when I went home, I never took them off. I slept with them the whole time. And I said, why? And he said, because if I took them off, in the morning they'd be gone. And so being here, you know, he related to his experiences from home. And I said, you don't need to worry about the police coming into our home, I promise. Mm-hmm. And you don't yeah. need to sleep with your tennis shoes on. Those are your tennis shoes. Nobody else's, you know. So it was an adjustment. Did he, through the couple years that he did live with you, did it ever change? Did what? Did that change? Did did yeah? Did he ever get used to it? Yeah, he was here for like five years, and okay, it was quite a quite a change. Yeah, yeah, and no, and he, when he graduated, he moved back to Chicago, and we still stay in touch. And he has his own videography business, and he's doing well that way. 
Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. It's funny that because makes me so happy. you know how I would always do a video with all the pictures every year? Yes. You remember yeah. Remember that? Uh -huh. Well, yeah. I didn't think about this, but I would come in here to the den and I'd be working on it and on computer and stuff. And tomorrow would always be over my shoulder watching. He was just so <gasps> fascinated by that. And That's when awesome. he told me that what he was doing for uh, business, he said that that's why he's doing it because he really enjoyed watching me make these movies awesome. and it just became something that he was enthralled by. So awesome. And another example of you being a father figure to him and to these boys. Yeah, and he need, he is, really needed it. You know, he, yeah. he just he needed, you know, his mom's since passed away and and that was really sad, mm -hmm. but they're doing good. It's still a struggle, you know. Yeah. That's still a struggle out there, but I think I think about him every single time I hear about Chicago on the news. I just I think about mm -hmm. I just my boys. Yeah. Like how are they? What are they doing? I I mean, when I left camp there it wasn't in the day and age of any social media or mm -hmm. I didn't even have a cell phone. I had a pager. Right. And so I wasn't able to keep in contact other than letters and that lasted only a couple years and I think about them every time, you know, how many got out of the gangs, how many got out of poverty, how many have made their lives better? Do you know? You know, I don't. For a long time there, a lot of these boys were coming up to school at BYU-Idaho. Uh-huh. And some of them made it, and some of them, you know, went back home. I've heard of some of the boys going on missions, getting married in the temple, and cool. just uh, doing some really great things with their lives. So, cool. you know, and then I've heard of some who have been sent to prison and different things. And that breaks yeah. your heart. But it does. Uh, it's just, gosh, I can't even speak to that because I have no clue what it's like. No. You know, I just I just don't have a clue. I can't. I can't even imagine. Yeah. You know, and I, I, my heart goes out to them. But, you know, for most of them, that's all they've known. That's, mm -hmm. they don't know any different. I remember bringing them out here and it was late and we were on our way up to Victor and I had to stop. It was probably 10 and 11 o'clock at night and I had to stop by and get an extra couple sleeping bags for the boys who didn't have anything. Mm -hmm. And I live out in the country and we pulled in to the driveway and I told the boys, I'll be right back. Well, I ran in, got the stuff. When I came back, all the boys were standing in the backyard and they were <laughs> just looking up the sky. And one of the boys said to me, G Ray, what's that? And I said, What's what? And I was thinking maybe there was a plane or something. And I looked up and I said, What what do you mean, what's that? What are all those dots up there? Oh my god. I said, That's Are awesome. you serious? I said, Those are stars. And he said, We don't see stars where I'm from. Well, I got oh. thinking about it. All the lights in the city of Chicago, you can't see those stars like that. Nope. Yeah, so they were fascinated by that. They were just That's incredible. enamored with that. And, of course, when we got to out to Victor, some of those times they, they were pretty scared because they were staying in cabins. And, you know, you pull them out of the city where there's houses yeah. right next to each other, and all of a sudden they're out in the woods in a cabin. Yeah. And in Idaho. In Idaho. Yeah. Thousands of miles away from home. And, but <laughs> yeah. it, was just, it was just so cute to to watch them interact with each other and to oh. have fun. Well, Lindsay, what, what do you think as far as you, how have you changed because of the experiences you had? Oh, honestly, I, I look at their little faces and I just think love. Mm -hmm. um, I, 
I had never been around any minorities, any people of color. And I remember asking you, you know, how am I going to relate with these kids? How I'm a white girl from Idaho and they, they are scared for their lives and scared every day of their life. And you said, you don't have to be a cow to know what milk tastes like. Mm -hmm. And that has been, it's on my mind all the time because it doesn't matter and it doesn't matter their color of their skin or where they're from. All any of us want is love and that's all they wanted. They just wanted to feel love and they wanted to feel safe and accepted. And I feel like that was one of the main things that I learned. The other thing that I always think about is the the theme that we had. I don't know if you had this throughout all the years. No, they, the theme was, changed every year. Did it? Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, the one year it was the me lift you, you lift me, and we both ascend together. Correct. And that has also hung on a sign in my home with my husband because there's nothing better. And it doesn't matter that I was a girl from Idaho and they were from the inner city of Chicago. We could lift each other. Right. And they did lift me and they helped me become a better human, a better, more loving, more understanding, more compassionate because I got to be a part of their life. Yeah. It took you out of your comfort zone like it did. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody, you know, <laughs> it takes you yeah. out of your comfort zone. But I think one of my students recently I saw on the back of his sweatshirt, it said, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And I kind of saw that each year I would take students out there. At first they were a little scared, a little maybe timid, but as soon as they realized that those boys accepted you and loved you for who you were, game over, it was just like, okay, you know, I'm all in. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because what they wanted from us was for us to accept them, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we were aching to get it from them as well. Yeah. And yeah. I was just looking at one of the pictures with all of the line of us counselors as we're clapping as they're getting off the bus. Yeah. And I did, I looked like, like I, I was like literally closed in on myself, like <laughs> as tight as could be. And then you look at the pictures at the end of the week and we're dancing and we're hugging and we're, you know, crying, doing and crying and, you know, it, and it, it didn't take long. I mean, literally within those first few hours of playing the get to know you games, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it didn't take long to find the love. Yeah. So. Do you remember the, I got a little backpack game? Yes, we play it. I, I, I did it in the nursery. I've done it in my nursery classes. I've done it in my uh, music uh, primary. Yes, we, we played all the time in our house. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, you knew how that came about, right? You know where that game no, came from. No, Do you want to know the story behind that? Yes, yes, sure, please. So every morning we had our little flag ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think one of the counselors that was supposed to come up with the activity forgot, and okay. and so we're all just kind of standing there, and I looked at one of the counselors, and they had a backpack on there, and I said, can I borrow your backpack? And they said, yeah, sure. And they said, take whatever is so it's empty, okay? So I don't want it to be heavy. So they emptied yeah. it, and I don't know who it was I took it from, but just kind of on the fly, I thought, well, let's just wing this and see what happens. <laughs> and so I put this backpack on, and I started going on the, around the inside of the circle, and I started to sing the song, Got a little backpack, 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 got a little backpack, what's inside? What's inside? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we would count to 10, 
And whoever I stopped by was the person that took the backpack, and then we got to tell them what they were going to be. So you're going to be a lion. So then they had to go around like a lion, you know. (laughs) And I just got such a kick out of watching how excited that they got. And that became kind of something that we did from that point on. You know. Which I love it because not in a million years would you get teenage boys to do that in a regular <laughs> setting. But yeah. at camp, anything goes. Right. I remember going to our first meeting in your, and it was a classroom mm-hmm. in the basement of one of the social work buildings. Yep, the Clark building. And some of the previous counselors were there and they started singing, uh, hey there, Grover, you're a real cool cat, Mm -hmm. and dancing. And I remember just thinking that they were insane. Like, what is happening? And I'm pretty fun. Like, I like to sing and do things. But I was like, this is really weird for us as adults to be able to do this. But, oh, my gosh, that was like, remember, we couldn't ever want to start the fireside because we wanted to just keep singing and keep doing, shaking our booties. It was so fun. Um, Did we do the Lehigh's Dream? No. One year, I got to tell you the story. You'll you'll really appreciate this. This was when we were in Victor, and I made a path, and it was kind of going down a hillside. And mm-hmm. I put stakes in the ground and ran rope, a thick rope through the stakes, and so that was like the path that led to the tree of life. And mm-hmm. so I dressed up like Father Lehigh and made a beard out of. Bark and put a sheet on and and, a, and a, you know just kind of had some fun with it. Yeah. And at the top of the hill there was an open field, and we blindfolded the boys, and they didn't know where the op- where the entrance was to the iron rod. They didn't oh, know yeah. where yeah they didn't know where the entrance was to start the iron rod and to start the path down to the tree of life. And so, very quietly. There was a little bell, and we would ring that little bell. But then there were other noises going on, too. We had really hard rock music playing loud and all of this stuff, all this confusion. But mm-hmm. very softly, we ding this little bell. And mm-hmm. the boys, being blindfolded, they got scared, and they were holding on to each other. Yeah. And finally, they, one of them started to say, listen, listen. And they could hear the dinging of that little bell. The dinging of the little bell was right at the start of where the path was. And all they had to do was follow that soft dinging of that bell. Well, slowly but surely, one by one, they started to make their way, holding on to each other, and found their way to the path. Along the path, of course, there's the great and spacious building and the temptations of the world. And we had, I had some of my camp counselors up on the balcony of, of this cabin, and they were hollering at the boys, let go of the rope, let go of the iron rod, let go. If you do, I'll give you a fishing pole, or I'll give you $20, or I'll give you a candy bar or a pocket knife. And most of the boys hung on. Most of them hung on. But a awesome. few of them, the temptation was too great, and they let go, took off their blindfold, and they were rewarded with a pocket knife or a fishing pole. And then we took them down and set them on, there was a big basketball court far away from where our fireside was being held with a fire pit and stuff. And because they didn't make it to the tree of life, they kind of went out into the mist of darkness, right? And that's where they sit. And there were like three or four of them. 
Well, one by one, the boys would show up, the ones who hung on to the iron rod. They would show up down to Father Lehi. I would take off their blindfolds and give them a hug and send them over to the fire pit. Well, when it was all done, all of the boys, except for three or four, were Mm -hmm. at the fireside, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they started to look around, and they said, you know, where's where's John, or where's where's so-and-so, where's so-and-so? And we said, well, they didn't make it. They gave in to temptation, and they got lost in the midst of darkness, and that's where they're at. And the boys started to cry, and they're like, Aww. we want them. We want them so bad. We want them here with us. We need them. They're, they're part of us. They're our brothers. They're our cousins. We want them. And so we went back, and it, it was so disruptive for those boys to think that they couldn't be there with them. I went down and got those three or four boys, and I brought them back up to the fireside, and they just hugged and cried with each other. They were so glad to see them, you know, and it was such a powerful moment. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that's never left me, that uh, image no. of those boys, you know, and the, and the point, the message was, hang on to that iron rod throughout your life right. so that you don't lose anybody. right. And wow, that was powerful. But, yeah, that's that's incredible, Grover. You know, and the, I'm sure, regardless of where they are, those those feelings will come back to them. And yeah, what the spirit that testified to them of the truth, they will feel that. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, I've taken a lot of your time, but I always like to have my guests just give some some advice, something that maybe you've learned along the way that might be helpful for somebody else to hear. Anything along those lines that you can think of? Um, Most recently, I have been working on compassion. Mm -hmm. My cute little sister who works as a victim's advocate in Salt Lake City, and she sees a lot of awful, awful things. But every time I talk to her, she says, you know, we don't know both sides of the story, and we don't know what's happening on the other end or why somebody approached this situation the way that they did and we need to show more compassion and more grace. And so personally, that's something I, I need to work on because I can be a a brat and spicy sometimes. And I need to remember there is another side to the story. Yeah. Less judgment, right? Yeah. Less judgment, more acceptance, more love, Mm -hmm. more acceptance, more inclusivity. Let's just love the way that Jesus did and does. That's great advice. Yeah. And it seems so simple, but yet we have to remind ourselves. Yeah, we really do. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It makes me so mad that I I know it. Why can't I just apply it all the time? Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice if we could all just be that perfect? (laughs) Right. (laughs) In my dreams. (laughs) Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. It's been just a wonderful opportunity to uh, i've always loved visiting with you anyway so this has just been really super fun for me so thank you thank you and i love you and give sue my love i sure will okay you you. have a good night kiss all those babies oh i will don't worry they're they're all waiting for me to give them love (laughs) okay thank you talk to you later okay Okay. see you bye-bye bye-bye and as always to my listeners remember to speak up speak out and speak often Bye-bye.